Gentlemen. <laughs> I don't even know uh-huh. what to say at this point. <laughs> I come to you from uh, from the virtual realms. Wow. I noticed that. <laughs> Is that what VR stands for? Realm? realm? Yeah, yeah, virtu- virtual realms. realms. Yeah, not, not reality. Realms. And uh-huh. much like universes beyond or whatever the heck uh, that stuff's called. I'm I'm coming to you from from lands beyond. Okay. Lands of virtual lands. I need to describe this because this is an audio medium and so visual gags don't work great, but Shane is on camera wearing what is that? An is that an Oculus? Like what yeah, is the, that? It's, it's the Quest 3 Meta Meta get at us. Okay. Sponsor our podcast. Yeah. And it has it has pass-through cameras. So I'm sort of using my computer uh, while the headset's on. I'm going to do this for an hour and a half to two hours. I'm not going to. This is coming off my head as soon okay. as the intro's over. Devin, have you ever VR'd? I have not, but it sounds like a good time. I, I feel like I should try it out. I've never VR'd. No. Oh, man, your kids would love it, Dave. I'm not giving my kids any more digital stuff. They got Super Mario Wonder this weekend. Ooh. They can do that for the next 10 years as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so how is Wonder? It's, it's pretty wonderful. I, I would say it's not like groundbreaking so far in the Mario realms, but it's nice to have a new side scroller. Yeah, so it's just like it's literally like a you know 2D, right? It's just a side scroller. There's no like you know Odyssey running around the world type. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. Oh man, that sounds great. Devin, how do you how do you play video games? Are you like a Nintendo man, a Sega man, Sega man, Xbox man? Uh, well, I haven't played. Computerman? I haven't played video games in a long time. Uh, I had. Some would say you play one every day, Devin. Well, I mean <laughs> that that doesn't really count. Yeah. Uh, I had Warzone downloaded on my PC. I haven't played it in a while, but the last uh, last console I had was an Xbox. You know, you know the game I used to really jam back in the day was Guitar Hero. I played so much oh, of that yeah. as a kid. Oh my See, god! As a kid, Devin. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like twenty six when well, I was well, playing on, Guitar hold Hero. On, hold on. I still. I say as a kid, but when I mean when I say as a kid, I mean as an adult as oh, well. Because I still like the play Wii one, on the, the Wii one that everyone likes for the PC. No, I have it. So it's called Clone Hero, which is kind of like it's it's a knockoff of sorts, but it's basically right. like it has the library of all of the old games. But you can also <sighs> people can custom create their songs. So you can okay. like there's a whole library you can search songs. It's it's awesome. Devin, how, which, so my favorite was Guitar Hero 1 and Rock Band. The other ones, I I guess Guitar Hero 2 was pretty good as well. Did you have a favorite of the franchise? Honestly, I kind of like Metallica. There's just a that Metallica was, one? I never even did yeah. that one. There is one? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, wow. there's one where they didn't have every single song, but they had pretty much, uh, you know, a really good chunk of the of the library. And then also like Metallica adjacent songs. There was some Merciful Fate. There was some... Uh, I'm trying to think of what else, but they had that, 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 that game was great. Yeah. Unbelievable. I, I, yeah, those, are, those were amazing. I spent so much, in fact, I spent so much time playing Guitar Hero when I was in my early twenties because I played music, like I played in a band in high school. I played in like a punk band and then I went to college and I stopped playing stuff and then Guitar Hero came out and I was playing around a little bit with my friends and like cover music, but then I played so much guitar hero that I started playing in another band again, where we were, I was like, I'm practiced now. Like, let's go do some, let's go do some stuff. Like it was, it was amazing. Great, great game. Yeah. Not just guitar hero too. I had like the whole drum set. Like, yes. you know, oh yeah. Rock band or whatever. Mm. De- Devin, I used to pull the, the ultimate power move with that. Cause people used to, we used to go out to the bar and then go home and play rock band with like four people. Did you do or like whatever. the Phil Collins thing? Like did you do drum and sing? I would drum and sing. Yeah. Oh, I would drum go. and sing at the same time or guitar and, and sing at the same time. Just, it, it was like, yeah, frack. It was fun. I remember playing like Siamese or uh, not Siamese dream. It's uh cherub rock is on rock band. Yes. Oh yeah.
Hello and welcome to episode 246 of The Dive Down, a mostly Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. Obviously, this is a takeover by Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado. With me on the line from Massachusetts, it's Devin O'Donnell, a.k.a. Doomwake. I was trying to figure out why you put the Z's next to my name. I couldn't tell if that was because you're falling asleep to my stream or... <laughs> I am I am a little tired today. I got my I got my COVID shot for the year on Saturday, and I feel like I just have sort of a little bit of residual sleepy times. Or it could just be the fact that I went to work today, which is also a great way to make you tired. Devin, how was how was your day at the office? It was good. I got to uh, you know play a little bit of Shield Rid in everybody's favorite deck, which we will discuss a little bit later today. But yeah, it's uh, you know the path the, this weekend was pretty good. Feel like we maybe had a breakthrough with the uh, the rhinos archetype, and just excited to discuss it. I love hearing about breakthrough in the rhinos archetype. So more on that later for sure. Also, you may have heard the voice of the one and only Godfather Dave Arbarger. Uh, sorry, I'm busy trying to 100% free bird right now. <laughs> Guitar Hero One, bringing it back. What's Devin on like the the open source Guitar Hero? that you were talking about um what what is like the the big what's like the known hardest song that everyone's trying to like master for like the the biggest internet clout definitely through the fire and flames you can actually if you go to youtube and you search through the fire and flames like expert i think there's a video it's i think it's from like 12 years ago at this point but i think it has like 40 million views people love that kind of stuff it's Holy amazing smokes. Yeah. well i mean that was like a really popular like streamer game right it was, yeah. That band is named after a magic card, are they not? Isn't it? Is that band? Oh, it's Dragon, Dragon Force. Force. No, I thought yeah. it was called Dragon Storm for oh. a second. No, it's Dragon Force. <laughs> well, that'd be cool. Yeah. That would be sick. My friends, before we get into more on this episode, let's talk about Heavy Play, a newish card gaming accessories brand that will improve your gameplay and your game day. They have play mats, they have deck boxes, they have dice boxes, they have card sleeves, enhanced ergonomics, enhanced mobility, enhanced protection. The cool thing, of course, the equipment system. You magnetically attach your dice and deck boxes to each other. You can attach them to your playmat to carry them around. You can carry all that gaming gear in a single hand. As I mentioned, I recently got to bust my stuff out at my RCQ the other week. It was great. I loved it. Uh, we know that Stan and Dave have talked about it as well. We still have to get some in Devin's hand for him to test out at all his like 75 RCQs for the season. But you can find it at your LGS, quite likely, or shop online at heavyplay.com. When you do that, you can use code the dive down 22 23 for 10% off your first order there. Thank you, Heavy Play. Thank you, all of y'all who have used the code so far. On this week's show, we got a couple of different things going on. Number one, we're going to talk about can we find new love or new ideas or new tech in modern? Devin and I have been playing some stuff in modern. There's been some interesting stuff happening online with people trying out new things. And we're going to talk about it. And old things. They're trying new things are old again. Or wait, sorry. Old <laughs> things are new again here in, in modern right now. And uh, we're going to call it classic modern or mid-century modern, perhaps. But uh, Devin's going to talk a little bit about some time he spent with an interesting twist on rhinos. I'm going to talk about an interesting twist that I played on Murktide. And then there's other things to talk about if we have time. And then after that... Uh, since we are after the Lost Caverns of Ixalan kickoff stream, we are going to talk about some of the cards that were previewed uh, earlier this week, have a look at them, talk about what we yeah. think of them, and kind of go from there. We've got a grip of cards to look at. It's not a huge amount. We'll cut and uh, keep <laughs> depending on how much time we have left, but that's that's what this episode is. And some interesting new mechanics to talk about as well. 
Yeah. Mm. But first, some housekeeping. We have one new patron this week, and their name is Some Guy or S S Guy Some G. So thank you, Some Guy, for uh, becoming a citizen of the Dive Down Nation. And we have some new reviews slash Spotify comments. Dave, the ones that I saw before this episode were Dominic C, Florian La Paolo, and Edward W. Were there more that you had not approved through this through the Dave sensors yet? Now there are not more that have been unapproved. There were more that I did not approve. I'm not gonna lie about that this week. <laughs> no, Everybody are things, are, things are starting to get a little wild in the Spotify comments. Um, and you, you gotta show us those before you delete them. I'll I'll show them later. I did delete some actually. Um <laughs> Dive down after dark. It it was a little. uh, Some of them were were uh, you know pointed pointed criticisms that we will internalize and think about. Thank you very much. Whoa. And others were um, you know they they were a little too spicy. But we do have a couple from uh, Doctor Ali E as well. We have FF Freak back again. We have William back again, and also I think Florian. Uh, keep keep posting. We we we're we really appreciate your commenting. I, I don't think we can read your name every week on the show. It's been three weeks in a row, Florian. <laughs> it might be time to move you to the. It's time for you to ascend, as they say, perhaps. But really appreciate the engagement on Spotify. It's nice to see everybody out there. Um, poll that we had on Spotify was, "How do you feel about modern right now?" And the options that I put on the poll were, "Hate it, it's fine, it's great, love it." Those are the four that I the four options that I had. So, um, so Dave, this is this is yeah. some good survey design. Oh, is it for for this particular purpose? Because there's no median. Yes. It's a four point scale. People cannot hedge and just be like in the middle. They have to pick a side. I did Although give I think them. It's fine. Is fine. Is still somewhat positive. And for what it's worth, it's fine. Was the winner? It was 35 uh, people. 44 percent of 45 percent of the people polled said it's fine. 37 percent it said it's great. Surprisingly, I guess. To me, a little bit, and that's part of the reason I wanted to ask this poll, is that after there was so much hubbub about the no bans last week, only six people said that they hated Modern right now, of that's the good. people who came and found us. So, you know, that's good. People still pretty engaged. Um, and obviously, we're still playing it. I mean, hate is kind of a strong word, you know? If yeah. I had voted in the poll, I would have said it's fine. Like, I don't think it's terrible, but could it be better? Probably. Could it be worse? Certainly. So, yeah, just like it's, it's kind of in that happy medium right now. Yeah. I'm here for that. All right. And if you would like to participate in these questions and polls, check us out on Spotify if that happens to be where you listen to things. Um, it's just fun getting some engagement over there. People, I think I think people are doing it, honestly, because it's really easy to do on your phone. Just pop in and hit the questions, maybe even easier than it is on iTunes or things like that. Um, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com slash the dive down, where as little as $1 a week will get you access to our Discord server. If you'd like to support us without going to Patreon or Spotify, go check out our store at thedivedown.com slash store. And then finally, we want to talk about Manatraders. Manatraders.com is the place where we rent decks on Magic Online and uh, used it this week. It's still great. And you can use code thedivedown23 to get 10% off your first two months of Magic Card rentals at Manatraders. Go check them out, Manatraders.com. Gentlemen, so we're talking about these decks first. Yes. We're going to talk Dex. about modern first. Yeah. Ooh, yes, I like this because I think there's some spicy stuff going on. Both of you all played some new cool decks. Uh, and what it, it, the ostensible like platform here is can we keep on doing something new in modern besides playing scam or playing like cascade beans, beans yeah. or mm-hmm. bring uh, beans to light or something like that. Only right? something new. 
Yep. How are we living in this new beanie scammy reality? Well, I think that Devin had the most interesting story. So I'm going to ask him to talk about his weekend RCQ first, Would love which to. had quite a story. All right. So as we've kind of discussed over the past couple of weeks, I guess I say we, I haven't really been here. So hi, everybody. You know, it's, it's nice to be back. Um, but as you, we all have been you're, discussing. You're part over of the we, don't worry. Yeah. Over the past couple of weeks with the uh, the influx of beans, right? And one of people have kind of sort of adapted over over the past week or so, where the black decks you'll notice they're playing a lot more copies of Orcish Bow Masters and Children, because the way that the bean deck works is it obviously tries to play you know multiple copies of up the beanstalk into play, and get it to a point where once you like if you have the second or third beanstalk, every removal spell you cast like Fury or Solitude, you're breaking even on cards, sometimes going up on cards. And the best way to punish that is punish them for drawing those extra cards. So what this all started with was I played a little bit with Team Rhinos over maybe like the, the last week, we were week prior, and I was doing a lot of testing for the RCQ because initially I was going to play Team Rhinos. And uh, I don't know if you guys have played that matchup with the team from the team or center thing, but I played against the four colored Cascade Beans deck uh, like maybe three or four times. And I just kept getting annihilated. Like it, the bad. games were not yeah. close at all. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think that's mostly just due to the fact that like once they have the second Beanstalk, it's really not that hard for them to just clean up your first wave of Rhinos. And, you know, with like a Solitude plus a Fury. And from there, they just go like third Beanstalk, Binding, draw three. And it's just the game spirals out of their control from there. Yeah. So where this kind of all started from is I was in Aspiring Spikes chat, as one typically does on a, on a Friday <laughs> after Friday afternoon. Sure. And we we're just kind of talking. And he was playing his uh, beloved Beans deck. Or, or actually, no, I think he was playing the Mono Black No Coffers deck. And he was like, you know, he kept mentioning how Shielded and Bowmaster were some of the best cards against Beans. Well, you know, I jokingly said to him in chat, I just typed in chat. I was like, what if we just put Shielded and Rhinos? You know, I was like mostly just joking. And he saw my message and he's like, he looked he looked at the camera and he's like, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, I I have been I own one Shielded and I have really been thinking like, why does any black deck not just want to play more of these? It's like I'm bringing in two in so many matchups and from like the typical scam sideboard. And I'm like, well, how, how do I just play more of this card? Because it is bonkers if you have the time to resolve it and it stays on the battlefield ever. Right, exactly. And, you know, especially with this, the massive uptick in four color over the past couple of weeks, it's just one of, you know, it's if you have a bad four color matchup, then, you know, you, you need to address that in some way. And I think Shieldred is one of, if not the best possible ways to do so. There's some other bits of Shieldred, Shieldred that are good too, right? Like the fact that it's five power, so it dodges fury unless it's scammed furied is nice, right? Like that's a good thing. It's got death touch, so it can help you with other with other things too. So it's the draw is a huge, huge part of it, but it's not the only part of it that makes it a, a reasonable card even in modern right now and even in that matchup specifically, right? Yeah. And you know, even just against the non-bean decks, the just the general philosophy of like putting, you know, eight to 10 power in play on turn three, getting one big attack in, like even if you just get that first attack in and then get your rhinos cleared later, that one big attack at your opponent low enough to where the chip damage from shielder just adds up, even if they're not drawing extra cards, just that one a turn, you know, that's that's just good enough. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, five toughness is massive, blocks rhinos, so it's like really insane in the mirror match. I don't know, you as, as a teamer player, I know it's pretty difficult to get that card off the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I'm immediately asking questions like, yes, it is a teamer deck with a two black black four drop. Hmm. How well is that working out? I might be well, jumping ahead, but. Well, it's funny you ask that, Shane, because uh, I don't know if you've heard of these things. They're called fetch lands. And <laughs> okay, you okay, can, okay. You Love can, them. You can honestly just kind of do whatever the hell you want with fetch lands. <laughs> <laughs> and triomes. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, so now, obviously, you know, you might think I'm insane for splashing a double black card in a teamer deck, but the reality of the fact is the Rhinos deck doesn't have a ton of mana restrictions early on, like early in the game, right? So you typically can like, so you have turn one, Crashing Footfalls, turn two, Fire Ice, or Ice, I guess, is kind of your ideal play pattern. But you don't have a lot of doubles as far as cards you're actually hard casting, right? Because like Fury, you can pitch, Force, you can pitch, Subtlety, you can pitch. So your mana, your mana is actually not that like stretch thin. So there's three total black sources. One is the, uh, we swapped the Triumph to be a Grixis Triumph, and then I'm playing an Overgrown Tomb and a Watery Grave, and then uh, swap the fetch lands around a little bit. I'm still not 100% sure on the actual, like what the fetch lands should be, but you know, you just want to make sure that if you're swapping around the fetch lands, you kind of do that according to what specific shock lands you're playing. Cause there is some awkwardness where like wooded foothills can't get watery grave, scalding tarn can't get overgrown tombs, so on and so forth. So there's some, a little bit of tension there, but the, the two best that I found is misty and verdant because those usually don't miss on any of the shock lands that you're playing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So we talked about the mana. Do you think that this makes you more vulnerable to blood moon or is it not yes. really? It does. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one of the trade-offs for sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, with every good thing, there are definitely some downsides. You know, the upsides are, we, we can, we can list them. We've already kind of talked about how it makes you better in the beans match and all that. And then the downside is, so the mana base, it, you can support a double black card. The trade-off is you have to shave on basic lands because mm. you you're, if you're adding a if you're adding a fourth color, you can't afford to play four basics. So we've trimmed on the forest, the second forest, and the second island. So we have one of each to respect Blood Moon to a degree, but it is much weaker. And actually, that's one of the matches that I lost in the RCQ was to Merktide playing Blood Moon. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask if you're like trying almost to like hide your mana base in certain matchups game one, or at least trying to like hide the fact that you're going to like drop a Shieldred. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how easy that is to do because Shieldred's always a card you're going to be wanting to play if you have it, but like you can against like scam, you'll be like, well, I don't want them to keep in blood moons against me game two or game three. I don't know if you can play like that or not. It's kind of tough because you typically want to fetch early and use your shock lands later. So like, let's say you have a hand that has two fetch lands and say like a stomping ground, you're going to have to get two black sources with those fetch lands. And you typically want to fetch early rather than fetch later because you don't, you'd rather, you know, fetch the land that you want and not draw that on turn three or turn four. So you're, you typically do want to like, I always get the Grixis Triumph first. You know, that's if you're going to fetch a tap land on turn one, you always start with the Triumph. And, you know, the, it, it, once you fetch Grixis Triumph on turn one and you are you cast a Shardless Agent on turn three and Cascade into Footfalls, your your opponent's going to know something's up. But at the end of the day, it's like you just kind of have to accept those trade offs. They're going to be like, is this living end rhinos? Like, what is, what is this? It's got both. Um, yeah. Also, you know, this is Devin we're talking about, Shane. This is like, this is someone who, I don't know. I mean, what, 20,000 people follow you on Twitter. So like when you mm. put something like this out into the world, a lot of magic players are going to know 
this is what's going on. Yeah, too. of course I know so, exactly what that feels like. like yeah, every, sure. every time I tweet anything, my yeah. my twenty one thousand followers are yeah, exactly all ears. Yeah, it's really funny you mentioned the living in thing because I actually did play against Scam today, and they boarded it. Like I didn't show them Rhinos game one, and they boarded in Leyline of the Void. Did they really? Yeah, and you're just laughing because mm, you're so like, good. "This is this is nothing to care. me." Yeah. yeah, thanks for mulling. Exactly. <laughs> um, the one thing that I, the next thing I want to talk about is just uh, before we get to the actual tournament itself, as far as what got cut to make room for shield rids, because, you know, we're adding four cards. Let's let's talk about what changed. So as far as the stock riders list are concerned, the way that I look at it, and maybe you guys have different opinions on this, I think there's 30, 32 slots that are locked in. So those would be the eight cascade spells, the four footfalls, that's 12, uh, force is 16, Dead God is 20, Lorraine is 24. What am I missing? Fire Ice is 28. And then there's one mm-hmm. more. There's one more card that I keep forgetting. I think I may, I may have said Lorian. But basically, there's Lorian, yeah. 32 flex spots or 32 locked in spots. Locked in. Yeah. And then the rest, like the last six to six to seven, depending on whether you want to play 22 or 21 lands, those are kind of what are considered the flex spots. Now, most of the time, at least the list that I've seen online recently, usually have about three copies of Subtlety within those flex spots. So if you count that, that's 35 locked in. And then the last three to four remaining spots, that's where we fit the Shieldreds in. So these typically consist of Flame of Anor, Main Deck Mystical Dispute, Fury, Subtlety, Questing Beast, Brazen Borrower, and Murktide. Uh, most of all of those like got trimmed in some fashion, and that's where we're shaving to make room for copies of those, those Shieldreds. Got it. The list that you ended up playing, no Flames of Anor, right? Yes. Yep. Which you, you, you can't, you probably wouldn't play because you can't really fit Mutavault in this list anyway, right? So that's, that would be, that's like way too far. And then um, not Questing Beast because you have another four, four drop anyway that you're doing. Did you play with some subtlety in your list? I don't remember seeing that on the list that you had posted. Did you, did you go with some subtlety? I did. I had three. Let me pull up the oh, you list did have real three. quick. Yep. And I thought so, that you had one Murktide in your list still, or am I making that up? I did. So in the RCQ, I had uh, one copy of Murktide Regent. So yeah, the basically, so what were the, the 32? So it was Shardless, Outburst, Footfalls, Lorien Force, uh, Fire Ice, Dead Gone. That's, oh, that's 28. I was counting the Shield Reds in that 32. So that was 32. And then the three subtleties... 35 and then the four last four flex flex spots were a murktide a fury a dispute those were all one of his main deck and then instead of playing the 39th card because typically people play 21 lands i went to 22 because i wanted to make room like i, I tried to figure out the mana base without a Baseju, and then i was able to get the numbers right without the Baseju. but i'm like eh, i think i'd rather have the main deck Baseju than one random like second dispute or second fury so sure. i went with a Baseju over that last spell okay that makes sense all yeah right. and then the, the questing beast got moved to the sideboard um, just to kind of go over the sideboard real quick, it was three Charma, three Endurance, three Force of Vigor, and then I had two more Mystical Disputes, a second copy of Fury, the fourth Subtlety, and then one Questing Beast and one Commandeer. Three Charma. That's a commitment. Are you, you're, in, you're feeling Charma right now? So there's two things about Charma. One, as we kind of talked about, as we alluded to, you can't really play Blood Moon because you're adding the fourth color in. Like you're you're making your deck weaker to Blood Moon, so you're not going to want to board in Blood Moon against other decks. So you can't really afford to play Blood Moon. And to be honest with you, I don't know how you guys feel about this. I think Charma is better than Blood Moon against Tron. Is that crazy? 
I haven't taken a shot at this yet, but I'm very curious to hear why you think yeah, that. And I've had I've had no I've I've had no chance to cast Charma or play against Tron in forever. Gotcha. Okay. So the reason I think that is typically with like there you could run into some issues with Blood Moon against Tron, especially the way that the Tron decks are built now. They have a lot more insulation against Blood Moon. They have the talismans, they have a lot more Basajus. So and specifically, they have four copies of the One Ring. Well, I guess three and then the Karn to get the other one. But specifically, the One Ring makes Blood Moon a really risky proposition because if you don't pressure them and you tap out for Blood Moon on three and they just go land One Ring, most of the time you are at a disadvantage in those games because the ring is just going to let them hit their land drops even if they can't answer the Blood Moon. So what Charmod does, it does two things. One, it specifically removes the land from the battlefield so that even if they go turn two Talisman, they can't play turn three ring because you've just removed the land out of the equation. And the other thing, it also pressures them. So if they have ring, the, the Charmod gives them less time to dig out of that. Mm-hmm. So that's the yeah, theory so- behind it. It's a threat plus mana disruption at the same time, as opposed to being a one card dedicated just to mana disruption. Exactly. That makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, it's a bigger swing. And it also clocks them at the same time. So you don't need like the redundant piece where it's like disruption plus a clock, you get disruption and a clock. Right. So, all right. So you've theory crafted this deck, mm-hmm. but my, the tweet that I saw from you which made me go, what is Devin doing? You were like, I'm going in with no games yeah. to my RCQ with this. Is that So that that's what happened, right? Well, technically not, because I played it at FNM. I like threw it together right before ah, FNM, and the, which okay. I went 301 at FNM, by the way. So, you know, oh. <laughs> humble humble brags, I guess. Yeah, they were feel comfortable <laughs> trying this on Saturday, in other words, a little bit. That was that was my the extent of my RCQ prep, but mostly, yeah, mostly just winning cold. So Saturday morning comes, you've got this new tech you've thought about really gone through the process of thinking about how do you really like you don't just take a new card and jam it into your deck like you've really thought about like what are the what is this going to do to the deck changes the mana changes the cards that i get to use in the flex spot you're ready to go how did how did the event go so ultimately uh, i was able to make it all the way to the finals unfortunately i did lose in the finals it was a one slot event so you know i feel like we've we've maybe been here a little bit before we talked about this last season you know and it's funny i actually the person who i lost in the finals was the same person that i lost to in the finals at the rsq last season so he's 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 uh, got my number so as far as the matchups are concerned uh round one murktide win loss loss i did uh lost in three that was the uh, game where, so it, they didn't show me Blood Moon in the first two games, so I didn't know whether or not I should be fetching around it. Uh, decided not to fetch around it and got Blood Moon. So that was uh, that was round one. Round two, Scam 2-0, Shieldred was fantastic against them. I was able to cast it. Uh, and that's kind of the thing. It's like they have to answer, specifically Scam, they have to answer your first wave of Rhinos. And typically Scam is, you know, you, you probably know this, Dave, you play a lot of Scam. They're not the best unless they have Fury Scam. Like they have to, you know, push plus Terminate, and that's two removal spells gone. You follow that up with a Shieldred. It's like, what are they supposed to do about that? Right. Yeah, you've already used all your bullets to get rid of the trampling rhinos, and now you have this thing that's going to kill you whether it attacks or not. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Tron was able to win in three. That match, specifically Shielded, was insane because there was the way that that game played out is I played a Cascade spell on three, attacked them for a large amount of damage, and then they tried to play ring to, they. I think they went like ring to stabilize into O-Stone, but I was able to rip Shielded and cast it when they were at like 10 life with a ring in play, and the ring was already on two, so they just couldn't activate their ring basically or else they would die on the spot. So Shielded basically just soloed them, was 
was amazing. Um, round four, play against Coffers, two of them. Shieldred, I don't remember. I think I might have cast it, but it, it you know, just kind of did the Rhinos thing. That matchup is, I think, very, very good for Rhinos because Force Negation is just so good against the deck that has all four drops. Uh, round five, took an intentional draw because it was only five rounds. And then quarterfinals, played against Team of Rhinos. Just, you know, again, Shieldred, massive. It's just blocking 4-4 four, four Rhinos. They really couldn't do a ton about it. Uh, semifinals, Coffers, that was, a, that was a rematch. Ended up winning that 2-0. And then in the finals... The deck that we designed the deck to beat, unfortunately, was still uh, was still not able to defeat the Cascade Beans deck. Lost 2-0. Uh, had some, you know, unfortunate draws, but that's magic. Is it is what it is. But it's just kind of funny that you know I built the deck to beat the Beans deck, and then the Beans deck is the one that ultimately took me out in the finals. Yeah, you got the matchup you were kind of hoping for in the finals, right? And then just, I mean, you, you got. The man, the variance caught you though, because I know that you, you what you said you never played a third land in game one, and then game two you had to mold a five, and so it was just really hard hold to dig out of, right? Yeah, I was in the play game one. I kept a two lander with ice, which typically that I mean you guys have been there before. You always keep the two landers with the ice and the cascade spells. Never drew land three, and then game two I mold the five. So, so I, I gotta ask when you're going through these rounds, what were people saying when they were playing you? Were they just like what what the heckin or like did the whole is a small enough room where everyone was like okay dooms on this wild cascade deck that has shielded i mean it was a relatively small room so once we get to like you know around two or three people kind of knew what was going on um like my my scam opponent was kind of surprised when i cast it my tron opponent was relatively surprised when i cast it but then past that like you know everybody knew what was going on because people were kind of watching the you know how yeah. it is in the smaller cqs you just kind of watch the other matches going on yeah stuff clears that people start dropping you watch what's going yeah, on so once we get the top eight everybody kind of everybody kind of knew what was up um but yeah it was just like i i was just blown away at how unbelievably good shielded was even outside of the beans matchup just like being able to like block against rhinos very very good against the ring decks because i did play against coffers twice and tron which you know definitely comes up against ring yeah i was just like it it was crazy to me that i thought it was really only going to be there for the beans matchup but it turns out that the card's just really good yeah like is this the kind of card that we've just been sleeping on a little bit where it's like okay this thing costs four mana it's in heavy black, and it's not necessarily a deck that Scam has room for main deck. And, and like everyone else is like forgetting about it. I guess it was in the, it's in the Demir Control deck a little bit, right? Yeah, it was a two of when I tried it in that particular list, but Demir Midrange. When, when Devin's on the show, we call it Demir Midrange. Oh, yes, that's correct. D- Demir Aggro. <laughs> <laughs> Demir yeah. tempo. Yeah. But do you, do you, I mean, yeah, maybe more people should be playing Children just main, uh, depending on the matchup. Although, you know, Rhinos is in the particular kind of special spot, I think, where it has space for a four drop threat that uh, in the, it wants one, number one, because it, you can't cascade into it. And number two, you have a pretty, like, reasonably aggressive, assertive, I guess, assertive kind of early game plan already but a really open-ended second half plan is kind of open to your deck so being able to add shieldred in there is an interesting dimension because it just kind of fits right on curve with something you can easily swap in it's kind of my like how i think about it after you're talking about it too yeah and the other really really important thing especially in the post board games when you you've noticed this a lot people bring in chalice the void engineered explosives they bring in their uh, i had some people bring in stone brain against me i have a funny screenshot on twitter where there's a stone brain naming crashing footfalls as i have a shieldred in 
in play. So, right. You know, people just like it just that's kind of what happens against Cascade. They just assume that the deck is so one dimensional where they just board in, they oversideboard, overcompensate, and they typically will mulligan very aggressively to their sideboard cards. And, you know, we've we've had stuff like this in the past where you play like a Murktide here or there, sometimes main deck endurance, but none of these cards can solo a game in the same way that Shieldred can. It literally can just carry the entire game by itself, even if nothing else is going right for you, which is it it's just crazy to me how how messed up it is. Yeah. It, not not a lot of four mana cards besides maybe some planeswalkers can close the game by themselves without doing anything but sticking on the board, right? Right. I mean, maybe maybe some like ley lines. Like I'm just trying to think of like what what wins you the game. And I don't know. I can't think of anything. Um the one ring? Perhaps. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it has to do something. You have to be able to tap with it. Like, what can someone do to stop your um, triggered abilities? I mean, there's what, well, I'm sure there's some cyborg card I don't know about, right? That would like stop Shieldred's triggered abilities from the, the draw, but. I don't even know. <laughs> who's playing those? Yeah, maybe <laughs> don't need those? to worry about it right now. One, one last thing to note, you know, as far as the mana base is concerned for people who want to maybe play this, people at home listening that want to try this out themselves, uh, the mana base is a work in progress. You know, we've we've been, I tuned, I played for like seven hours today on stream today, trying to get the mana base down, because I do think I'm going to play this in the Modern Super League this week. Awesome. But the, yes. the mana base is, is tough. Uh, still not sure about the final numbers, but I believe the conclusion we've come to is that Misty and Verdant are the two best fetches because those miss the least amount. And then what you kind of want to do is like, like figure out what the best fetches are and then build the mana base upon that. You don't want to start with the Shocklands. You want to start with the ones that fetch the Shocklands. So just keep that in mind. But yeah, I think, you know, last last final note, deck's great. Shieldred's awesome. And I'm definitely going to keep playing it moving forward. Can I ask, um, so between the FNM and like playing it today, did you run into beans some? Like, did you have some time, some matchups where you got to test your hypothesis about this deck actually being, you know, Shieldred being enough to close the gap against beans? Or what do you think about that particular matchup at this point? So I played against it once at the RCQ, didn't play it against it at FNM. And weirdly, I think out of four leagues, I only played against it twice today. And okay. I expected I expected to play against it a lot more than that. Uh, I did win both of those matches on stream today, so you know we I I am you know what two I guess two and one against it, so a very small sample size. Yeah, but I mean Shieldred just does does oh, so much work in that matchup. Yeah, you it's felt crazy. like it's working. That's oh, yeah. that's mostly what I wanted to check on, like anecdotally. Yeah, I gotta ask Doom, what were you playing today on stream? Because I believe it involved Cascade Rhinos, and I saw a grief in there. Yeah, that one's still in the works. Okay, we we're not gonna we're not gonna spend <laughs> spoilers. Too, yeah, that one's that that one is uh yeah the the idea there is you basically just cut a lot of the red cards and just add grief and a bunch of terrible black split cards that that can facilitate grief and force negation. I don't know, needs a little bit of work, but grief is pretty cool as like a free way to take their counter spell before you set up for a turn three cascade. Or like the the living end type thing. I was gonna say that's yeah. what living end thinks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That one needs a little bit more work though. Sweet. That sounds cool. I mean, that is wild. I'm going to have to play with that because uh, I love rhinos and I love Shieldred. So let's let, let's uh, slap them together. Slap it together on the old magic online using mana traders. It's a delicious peanut butter and ham sandwich right there from the, from the look of it. But it works. It really works. Is Shieldred the ham? Yeah. Okay. Gotta be, right? <laughs> yeah, gotta be. Well, we've got past Devin's sweet brew that is now a real thing i'm calling it now everyone's gonna be playing it at your next uh, modern event but david you were also testing some new tech that you saw on the internet as well what were you playing 
So I was looking around this weekend, Saturday morning, trying to find something to do, figure out what we want to talk about this episode when Dive Down Discord stalwart Kilgore posted a deck list from one of my favorite Twitter follows, Andrea Mangucci. Now you've met Andrea before, right, Devin? I have. Yeah, I have. We, we tested for a pro tour together. It was, it was he's he's awesome. It seems Great like guy. an awesome guy. I love you know. I follow him for the magic content. I've stayed for the uh, life of Mangucci content. So I'm always very like food looks great. Like looks like he's always enjoying himself. It's awesome. This list, as everybody knows, so Andrea plays a lot of Murktide. Still, I'm not sure if it's. I think I guess maybe it feels like it's his favorite deck. He plays it. I think every Friday on his stream or something like that. He seems to play it a lot. But he had posted after he started out. Five and two at the most recent Legacy Championship Series in Europe. There was another modern event that they had over the weekend. I believe he started five and two day one. And then after that, he posted the list that he was doing because he had gotten a 5 0 the day before or a couple of days before that he had recorded but not Twitch streamed, I believe, for a Teamer Tempo deck. Teamer Tempo. Okay. And here's what's in the deck four Questing Druids, two Tarmogoyfs, <sighs> and then. I realized about halfway through the league, and I don't know why I didn't realize this right away, but the rest of the deck is just Murktide. Okay, everything else that's in the deck is Murktide. It's four Bobbles, four Preordain, two Spell Pierce, two Spell Snare, four Dragon Rage Channeler, you know, four Lightning Bolt, four Ragavan, four Unholy Heat, four uh, EIs, and then you've got your three Counter Spells and a Brazen Borrow Remain. It's Murktide with no Murktide. It's just got Questing Druid instead. So this this is like teamer twin days. I Player mean, is a deck and no twin some though. Green. No twin. Yeah. No. This is this is more like. I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about this, or the thing that I, first off, Andrea's content's great. I enjoy his decks all the time. the The thing that I was excited about was I wanted to play some more woe cards, right? And so I saw this and I was like, oh yeah, Questing Druid is a, a card that people are pretty interested in. I think people are trying it in Legacy in their Delver decks. Even Devin, I know you've been playing a little Legacy. Is that right? Are people trying trying it in like a Teamer Teamer Tempo kind of list there as well? Teamer Delver, yeah. Similar similar concept to what to what's going on here. Yeah. And so if you guys don't remember Questing Druid, what it is, is it's a 1-1 for a generic and a green that has, it's an adventure. So the actual card size is, side is Questing Druid. And it's, like I said, it's a 1-1. It gets a counter anytime you cast a spell that is not green. 1-1 counter. Oh, I see what we're doing here. And it has an adventure side that is a generic and a red that basically is Reckless Impulse, but it's a at instant speed. And it goes only until your next end step. So it's a reckless impulse at instant speed that you are extremely motivated to cast as an instant and not cast as a main phase as much as as much as you possibly can. Yeah, through my experiences playing that card in Pioneer, I learned that the hard way. Like every yeah. time I, I played it a lot with like, you know, P and P shells and various stuff like that. And yeah, if you have a lot of like, you know, two drops in your deck that you don't want to hit, especially counterspell too. But it's kind of cool because you can like, if you have four mana, you can, if they play a spell, you can questing Druid in response and hit the counterspell off of it. That that sounds kind of hot. Yes. Yeah. And I will, oh yes, I have done this and hit the removal spell against mm. Scam as well. Hit Unholy Heat off of it when I'm trying to kill something. It was pretty good because guess what? They can't scam yeah. cards that you've exiled. <laughs> That are off the, off the top of your deck. Um, the you know Andrea tweaked the list a little bit between the video that he created and the event that he played over the weekend. So he ended up taking out Tarmogoyf and pulling in and taking out one Lightning Bolt and playing a single Ledger Shredder, a, 
a single Bone Crusher Giant and a single Fury main in those slots instead. So you have more utility, maybe more of a pivot threat that can get really big in Ledger Shredder, something that helps you dig through your deck. That's kind of like flavor to taste stuff. I will say, playing through this list, I, I, Tarmogoyf was a non-issue the entire time. I thought it was going to be great that it would block some Furies, scammed Furies here and there, and like it just never came up. I killed people with other stuff almost every time. Is that an annul in the sideboard? So Andrea, in his paper <laughs> event, has annul in the sideboard. Like this. Okay. Yeah, does have annul on the sideboard and has a back to nature in the sideboard that he later said on Twitter he oh. would switch to an annul as well. So he was thinking about after the event, he's like, I'm going to run two annuls in the sideboard. Annul's is, a pretty is that, good card. Is that like a single blue artifact enchantment thing like what does that do again? it is counter target target artifact or enchantment spell for a single blue that's right hey, i was i was there yeah i knew blue naturalize spell. yeah it's good i mean extra stuff against uh beanstalk right yeah and specifically one mana because you really need to try and get under the beanstalks and especially when you, you're like curving out with ragavans and darcy's and stuff you want to be able to use your mana as efficiently as possible and the other thing about a null is it doesn't let them get the card back right with something like back to nature even if you kill two beans with it they've already replaced themselves and a null is a way to trade that down on mana efficiency and they don't get their card out of it yeah i i think it's great and actually when i played this league so i played a league with the deck I played against Scam, Burn, Scam, Eldrazi Taxes, Scam, Jesus. basically, and Beans were the five five lists that I played against. I went two and three, but I love this deck a lot more, and I would definitely take it out for another spin, and let me tell you why. So first things first, I think that this is a list as well, like the similar way to you were thinking, Devin, where you're like, let me start with a deck that's good against Scam and try to make it good against Beans as well and feel like I can kind of like close the gap with that matchup. I'm I believe that that's exactly what Andrea is trying to do here, which is, you know, Murktide is okay against both of these decks, I think. Uh, probably struggles a little more with Bean than it does with Scam because of some of the cheap counter spells that are already there and the red removal that's already there against Scam. But uh, by switching to, to Questing Druid, you really just get this... It's not so much about the Druid side as it is about shoving another two-for-one in your deck, honestly. And I think that that's kind of what this does is because you suddenly essentially have eight... Uh, I don't want to say you have eight expressive iterations, but that's kind of the idea here, right? Let's say you have eight divinations, essentially, that are at the right casting cost for you. They're at the right spot in the curve for you, and one of them turns into a threat that can get not as big as Murktide, but big enough to cause, cause damage... And so I kind of got the matchups that I wanted to in this league to be able to play it against Scam and Beans. And that's always nice. You're like not playing its random stuff. You're like, oh, I need to test for this episode. Hopefully right. I pay play against the real decks. Right. So I'll go quickly through these matchups. So the, the thing that really won me over to this deck and made me feel like any of the losses I had after it were my fault and not the deck's fault was the round one game I had against Scam. And it was... It just felt like I always had every answer to what they were doing. And they had, they grief scanned me two of the three games that we played on turn one. And I still managed to come back through having lots of one CMC answers to things. You know, one of the times was I. One of the times they were on the play, one of the times they were on the draw. So one time I didn't get to interact with being grief stand. The other time I met, I did have the re the double removal or like the spell plus removal to be able to kill their the creature when they tried to um 
you know, use the undying scam card on it. Basically Druid got big, you know, I got to do some like tricky combat stuff with Druid where people were attacking Bowmasters into my one, one Druid thinking Ooh. that I was gonna have to trade. And then I was like, well, I'm going to do this stuff at instant speed and make it bigger and like kill your orc, block your Bowmaster. So there was a little bit of like, Hey, that probably saved me a couple, a card or two in that game, which was just, you know, it's like a bad attack from someone, but still it was nice to be able to interact in a way that felt a little prowessy. It was like, a, like, I really love decks like this. You know, I love prowess. I love death shadow, honestly. And it kind of felt like this is a little bit in that same zone. It's just like what threat is appropriate for the metagame right now. And it's possible that it's Druid because it's also a draw spell. Yeah. And the other one thing that, you know, we, we didn't mention is that there are no copies of Merktide in this deck. And yeah. a lot of people might think that's kind of crazy, but the reality is you've mentioned that you want to make your deck better against beans. Merktide lines up really poorly against four solitude, four leyline binding and yeah. having your extra threat, not only be in a cheaper card, but also in the form of card advantage just seems like a really good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised at, at Druid and this is the one match where Druid got up to be like a five, five or a six, six really fast. And I killed them with it. You know, the, the one thing that really was was big was game three, my my hand was one fetch, two DRCs, one Ragavan, a Bolt, a Heat, and a Goyf. And they thought seized me, and they took Tarmogoyf for some reason, which I'm not quite sure, which just told me, hey, they don't have Grief Scam, right, in their hand. They're not coming back with sure. it. Yeah. Then they drew into it. Turn two, I have to assume they drew into grief scan. They grief scanned me, then I then I killed it and went even with the exchange. So I think that was maybe I got grief scammed in all three games, two twice on turn one, once on turn two, and managed to to win. And then you know DRC, I I love Dragon's Race Channeler. It's such a complicated card right now because of Bowmasters being yeah. out in the meta so much that you have to be really kind of precious with how you play it. But this deck it does a great job of filling up the the graveyard and keeping delirium and that's another thing that helps to not have murktide is that not having to cannibalize your graveyard to be able to cast murktide in order to make a big threat you know you know that your unholy heats and your death right shaman or your death right dragon's rage channel i always shaman. call it card death oh, right shaman oh, i oh, always no, you're do. giving me nightmares yeah sorry not death right streaming i oh it's drs versus drc uh your that your channeler uh, is going to stay a 3-3, basically, unless someone brings in brings in Graveyard Hate against you, which I don't think is great in this one. But this was just like, it felt like all the pieces coming together, clicking, you know, moments click together like magnets, all of that kind of stuff. It just felt like I had it against Scam. I was like, okay, I'm one game into this. This is the best deck ever. I'm one game into, I'm one match <laughs> into this league. It's going to be great. Okay. I immediately start to see some of the Achilles heels with this deck. So round two, I played against Burn. And let's face it, the biggest problem with a teamer aggro deck like this is going to be that you're going to be out aggroed by another aggro deck that doesn't take as much damage from the, its mana base, basically. And that's that's really what happened here, is that when I have to open with two fetch lands where I want to like fetch shock into a, a, an unholy heat to kill a goblin guide, it's like their goblin guide did the damage anyway, and you know, as long as I didn't draw land off of it, then I'd really come out behind that exchange still. And so, you know, Searing Blaze is very good against you in this matchup because you have a lot of small creatures and yada, yada, yada. And maybe I was too aggro. Like, maybe I should have never played an untapped shock. But, you know, it's tough. Like, why bother not bringing your shock in 
uh, untapped, if someone's hitting you with a goblin guide, you might as well kill it. You're just going to kill it the next turn anyway, right? So I don't know. Can confirm adding an extra color to your deck does make your bird match, of course, speaking (laughs) from the person who just added a color to his deck. Yeah, yeah. And played against bird a couple times. Yeah. So round three, I also lost against Scam, unfortunately. You know, this was a little more frustrating. I I think that I had some bad mulls and stuff like that. I'm not going to like belabor this too long from here. I beat the Eldrazi and Taxes deck. You know, this was pretty interesting combat kind of trick kind of math going around, like trying to be tricky with getting getting the most out of your cards, getting the, you know, having the right removal at the right time, like using cast into flame or whatever to get rid of their cauldron complete and stuff like that was like how it all how it all lined up. And then beans, you know, I was playing against straight up control beans and it mm-hmm. was that was tough. It actually kind of felt like maybe this deck didn't have what it takes to win against the more control-minded versions of this deck. This one had Counterspell, and it didn't have the Cascade cards. It just had Counterspell. It was just drawing naturally into beans, and so it really only needed one or two beans to really kind of take me out here. So... My takeaway from this deck, I liked it. I think it has potential. I I feel like it's not quite good enough against Beans, but maybe the Annulls and the other utility cards that uh, Andrea played instead of Tarmogoyf uh, when he played in paper actually helped that match up a little bit. I I did wonder a little bit, like, is it crazy to want to bring in Engineered Explosives against Beanstalk? But I guess given what you just said, like, even if it gets more than one Bean, they've already drawn the cards off it. So, like, why why bother trying to kill it then, right? Yeah. No, I I don't think it's a good plan. The only the cards that you want against Bean are specific, like from the blue side of things, you want to try and fight them on the stack because once they get yeah. that card out of it, like it, it also kind of just like spirals out of control too. If you don't, so let's say you have explosives and you're like, okay, I'm going to let this first Bean resolve with the intention of explosives in two of them, but then you just put yourself in a spot where they have the second one and then they also convert the second one into an additional card because they follow it up with a binding and all of a sudden you've held off on this explosives and you've given them, you know, three or more cards or whatever. So it's just, it's just, yeah. not a good plan, I think. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I think Andrea actually agreed as well in, a, in another sense. So another difference between the Magic Online list that I played and the list that he actually played in paper, he had two Flusterstorm in the list that I played, and he swapped that for two more Spell Pierce, which... You know, Flusterstorm has its uses, and I definitely used it to good advantage a couple of times, but having two more spell pierces, so I could have gone up to four spell pierces for just more main deck bean answers. You know, I have a couple of spell snare, and then you kind of have your counter spells, you kind of go from there. But, um, and then a null also. So if he was, you know, he was probably boarding in two or three more cards than I had access to when I was playing this list against Beans as well, just to try to shore up that matchup. Yeah, yeah. a lot of a lot of one mana counter spells in the sideboard for that matchup. So I guess he goes up to what? You said four. So in the list he played in the LMS, it was four pierce, two and null post board. That's a lot. Four four pierce, two and null, and two spell snare that I'm sure he's keeping in as well. Oh, that's true too. Eight cheese, eight of them. So it's insane. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, wow. it's really, really saying I do not want that card to come into play. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, I that's think the it best does way to too. fight it. Yeah, and I think the deck is a little so that that was that's kind of like that was the last thing that I was thinking about when I was leaving the league was like what what should, what else should I brought against beans? Turns out it's more spell pierces. So I do think the deck is a little better and maybe even a little bit more fun because of Druid, honestly, than regular Murktide. You know, you have eight cards that are two for ones. You have preordained, so that's twelve cards. You know, I did take, for example, I took Preordain and um, I took Preordain out against Bowmasters, actually. Is that, you think that's crazy to do? No, it makes sense, honestly, okay. because like you get to these spots where if you have, say, like a questing druid and even it's a 2-2, you like follow it up with a Preordain. They can, yeah, just it kind of makes sense. 
I even took Bauble out in that matchup, honestly. I, I sideboarded eight cards out because I was like, I do not want to get any extra Bowmaster triggers. Seem to work okay. Uh, I like Seek the Beast. I think it's got a it's it makes sense in a deck like this, even if it doesn't make sense in other decks where you're trying to like storm off or like do a bunch of spells in a single turn. I don't think Seek the Beast is like a good part of that kind of chain. But as hand insurance, as two for ones, as something that you want to do when you want to keep up other kinds of interaction like this, I think that's the spot that it makes sense. The biggest problems with the deck, we talked about it, so I'm just closing it out here right now. It's mana. It's, you know, you're going to get hurt against other aggro decks if you have to fetch shock a whole bunch. I You know, you are playing Murktide, basically, so if you really feel like you don't like this kind of style deck, you are still playing Murktide, and you don't have a giant closer in the air. So you do have to be a little bit trickier with when you take your shot on trying to close out the game, because you're not going to hit somebody for eight uh, flying, that's hard to answer. You are going to be like on the ground doing what you're doing unless you get your dragon uh, dragon trace channelers up but that's a whole other thing and then the last thing is just keep in mind that this kind of deck it looks like it's full of lots of cheap spells but also decks like this are very mana hungry and so with ei in particular you can often have these things where it's like well i'm off to kind of like a stuttery start opening and you ei into a preordain and a questing druid and you're kind of like well i just EI'd into more card draw. I didn't EI into interaction. I didn't EI into another threat, really. So you, you can get these moments where it's like, wow, it's just too many cantrips, basically. But I would definitely keep playing this deck. It was it was fun and uh, and interesting to kind of pilot. One thing that, that that's kind of funny, and I just realized this. So both of the both the decks that we kind of displayed here, we're both adding a color to an already existing deck, and both of us have decided to cut Blood Moon. So I'm curious. I wonder if the like cutting blood moons from Murktide, if that affects negatively any of the matchups enough to warrant the green cards not being worth it. What do you think about that? I think it's very possible. I think the problem is that, you know, we talked about how, what do you think about blood moon versus beans? Man, it's kind of tough. Like from the teamer side of things, when I was playing teamer rhinos, but I still have blood moons in my sideboard, I brought them in, but like it felt that if their draw lined up in such a way that they had the ability to fetch basics early, it didn't do anything. Now, yeah. That being said, they can't always they don't always have the luxury of fetching those basics early. Like sometimes their hand is like one fetch land, a shock land and a ley line binding, and they just have to get the triome to match with the other shock land for binding. And they don't have the luxury of fetching a basic early. And in those games, Blood Moon is awesome. Yeah. But when they can go fetch, fetch, fetch and their hand lines up that way, it's like it, it can be kind of sketchy. Yeah, I think that my thought was kind of like, I'm not sure if. Like if they get an up the beanstalk out and they're just pitching cards to interact with me a lot anyway, like maybe they don't even care. Maybe they don't even care yeah, and they're just going to draw into something as well. Uh, so I mean, the the conventional wisdom I think was kind of like Blood Moon is worse against four color than you think it is. Yep. You know, it's better against other decks than that, but not that one. Even though it seems like the mana would be fragile, it's maybe a little less fragile than it looks. And so I. I kind of think that's the shot that Andrea was taking here and that you kind of took as well, like de facto is like, I have to attack these two decks that are probably at the top of the meta right now in a different way. And we're really, one of them is, okay, I make my, I mean, obviously Scam plays Blood Moon. So we're making our decks a little more vulnerable to it by doing this. But at the same time, like Beans is so outrageous right now that I can understand making the sacrifice. 
Yeah, that's kind of the exact conclusion that I came to. I'm just like, you know, we, we got to fight these beanstacks on a different axis. We're we're the good guys over here, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. That's what we're trying to figure out. Who's the next good guy? So I don't know. Maybe it's one of these two decks. Maybe, you know, uh, obviously people had, I mean, Devin went to the finals. You know, I, I might have gotten a two through in a league, but an actual good player took it all the way to <laughs> 21st place at the, the event. Like Andrea came in 21st at the event he was playing in out of, you know, probably 300 people those european events are three or four hundred people so uh just some stuff to think about especially yeah, with be one yeah. of the best players in the world yeah especially especially with shells that exist that maybe people feel like aren't good in the meta like we're adding these extra plans onto them to like help now what happens if we add take this lovely team or whatever team or tempo or merktideless merktide deck what if we just add shieldred to it Everything's better. I actually do have a list for you there. Now, I do want to talk about one last list that I didn't get to play, but I was curious what you thought about, Devin. I don't know if you saw it, that I'd stuck this at the end of the notes. But this I is noticed it. This is what Spider Space Gabriel, Gabe Maxson played in a challenge this weekend. It's basically, it's almost close to what you said, which is like, what if we played Murktide but Shieldred? Except it's really, what if we played Blue Black Dem- Control slash tempo slash mid-range whatever we want to call that but added ragavan and lightning bolt to it <laughs> looks all right honestly was kind of cool i think yeah. that he came in ninth in the challenge that he played with this and i i had a little bit of affinity for the mopey blue black deck but having you know i love lightning bolt love counterspell love ragavan like let's let's go yeah, so this like this seems like a really good recipe against beans because you have the cheap counter magic in the form of spell pierce. You have Ragavan, which to be completely honest with you, they're not the best at they're not the best equipped at dealing with it because they can't play the, the Cascade versions can't play Bolt or Pending. So the only thing they have is like they have to pitch cast a, a Solitude or a Fury Answer one, which you're pretty happy with, and then couple that with the Bowmasters and the Shieldreds, uh Force Negation too. Yeah, this seems like a good recipe against the against the beans decks. So I don't know. This this is kind of like next on my list to check out or like keep an eye on. But this is another one where it's like, yeah, murder murderous cuts coming out big and and modern in the last couple of weeks. I've seen a bunch of people trying it out. Some of the beans decks I think even have murderous cut, right? Or is it is it beans or is it? It's another deck where I was like, wait, what? Yeah, it's the bean deck. But yeah, what they're going for? I played one in a version of my rhinos today too. Oh, that's what I saw. You had one. That's right with the griefs. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So. There's stuff I guess going if you, on. If you need to terminate, but you're not in, you don't want to go hard into red black, then there you go. All right. Well, thanks for taking going on this tour of a couple of rogue ish modern decks with us. Next up, we're going to talk about the first cards that we've got to see, or the second group of cards, I guess, that we've gotten to see from uh, Lost Caves of Ixalan. Stay with us. My friends, we have reached the the zenith of magic content. We are once again in spoiler season, my friends. We did it. We got there. So, uh, Lost Caves of Ixalan. We had the preview stream. We saw some cards. We're here to talk about them. And I mean, like, what's what's Lost Caves of Ixalan all about? Like, this originally was not themed Ixalan, right? They were just like, we're going to do like this underground thing. And then they were like, we'll skin it as Ixalan. That's I what I know. heard. It makes perfect sense to me. Jungle theme, fun or uh, yeah. exploration, and then make it about lost caves under the, under the world. I think it's kind of kind of like a hollow world theme. You know, like the idea of like going into a 
oh, okay. underground and there's like a hidden other world inside of the world kind of kind of vibe. That terrifies me. Yeah. Spelunking. Yeah, that's where the the you know the lizard people that actually control <laughs> our lives live in the hollow world here. So we got also the new mechanics that I think are pretty cool. We got some cards that feature those mechanics. So let's uh, let's dive into. The one that I'm really interested to see if it's broken or not, depending on some costs, and that is Craft. So Craft is like our dual-faced card, you know, kind of thing. And what it lets you do is transform a card using an ability on the first cast side. And I think the theme is what, like you're sort of building on the card that you cast through the additional ability uh, on the card. And it lets you exile cards of some kind and then also pay a mana cost to do this. Yeah, and the thing to note here is that these are cards that you control or are in your graveyard. So if there is a cost that takes a card here, that's that's what it is. It's it's either one. This, hmm. this is better than Delve, David. No, 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 no. No, I, in fact, I think that that's the only thing that makes that. this, yeah, that makes this ability even close to playable is the fact that you can take advantage of your graveyard as well. Yeah. Because, for example, the card that we have here is called the Enigma Jewel, and it costs yeah. a single blue. It's a legendary artifact. Perfect. Enter, yeah, the Enigma Jewel enters the battlefield tapped. It has a tap ability that says, add generic, generic, spend this mana only to activate abilities, which we've seen a couple of rocks that are kind of like this and creatures that are like this. Omen Hawk is a card that's kind of like this. So it's Soul Ring. It's Soul Ring, but better. It's got more text. And then it says, craft with four or more non-lands with activated abilities for eight generic and a blue. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the backside of the card is, Locus of Enlightenment has each activated ability of the exiled cards used to craft it. You may activate each of those abilities only once each turn. And then it says, whenever you activate an ability that isn't a mana ability, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. So here's what this is. Oh, hold on, hold on, Dave. Dave. What? Did the front say you have to craft with cards that have activated abilities, That's not correct. just any cards, and yes. pay eight in a blue? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Ambitious. One quick thing here. So it's eight in a blue, but it's actually six in a blue because you can use the two mana for itself because it says Ooh. use it to activate abilities. And also it doesn't specify non-token, and it says activated abilities. So you can actually do this with clues and foods and treasures, I think. I don't. I don't think, oh, no, you can't, you can't, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you, you can pay for it with itself, You but you cannot exile it to itself, okay, because you have to exile right. that, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, but you can pay for it with foods and clues, which is something that I hadn't considered when I was looking at this. Obviously, those don't go to your graveyard, so, but... You know, now that you've brought those into the, to the party, Devin, honestly, I mean, that's a that's a lot. I mean, you can pay for it with treasures if you're not tapping the treasures yep. to pay for the cost as well. That too. So, I mean, this card looks expensive and clunky. Like, I'm sure that someone's going to try to to do something with this particular thing, but it's it's got a panharmonicon attached to the back of it. It kind of becomes what's essentially like a staff of domination. You know, it's like a single artifact with a bunch of activated abilities on it. You know, you might not want it to be clues, uh, clues and food tokens because. <laughs> Yeah, the abilities you get are sacrificing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so there's probably something good. else in here, but I, I like where your head was going, where it's like, hey, how can we use tokens to do this? Can we do stuff like that? There's probably something here for somebody who's playing EDH, is my mind with this particular. 
particular card. My thing would be like if you can find a way if there's a the ability that says tap deal a point of damage and then like some amount of mana to untap it, you can like turn it into a machine kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Could be. I think that this card is, I would be surprised if this shows up in formats that we particularly care about. I do think that there's a chance that this mechanic, of course, could be something interesting. And so we just wanted to start off with this one. It's an interesting thing. You know, there's probably ones that are like craft with an artifact or something like that, where it only costs one card to do it. And maybe that's cheaper and less impactful, but more reasonable to actually do. But interesting ability. We haven't seen anything quite like this before. Man, this this next mechanic looks familiar. It does. <laughs> so the next mechanic that we, we heard about via this is a mechanic called Discover. And tell me if this sounds familiar to you, Devin. Discover means... Exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card with mana value X or less. Hmm. Cast it without paying its mana cost or put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom in a random order. So these, yeah, these are all, they have a number. So it's like Discover 3. The card that we're looking at right now is called Geological Appraiser. It's a four mana 3-2 that has Discover 3 on it when it enters the battlefield. And yeah, this to me looks like Cascade. Okay, so this is Cascade, but they separated the mana values of the two cards, right? Yes. So, like, the card that uh, discovers could cost anything, and then the discover number can be anything. So, it's not just, like, you cast the three mana Cascader, and anything two or less gets cast. It's it could They could sort of separate it. Right. But everything mm. else is the same? Other than the fact that you can put it in your hand. Oh, if yes. It whiffs, that, yeah. Which you, you can't do with Cascade. If you hit something and can't cast oh. it, it just goes away, right? I missed that part. Yeah. And so there's a couple of, of possible scenarios I see here. I, I really... So first off, by my reading of these rules, Footfalls and Living End and things that like that can be cast with this. It is a non-land card with mana value X or less in every case. So... Scenarios that I could see working out here that I don't think will work out but are possible is like, yeah, there could be a card that says discover one on it that we want to play for some reason. And then who knows what happens? Yeah, there could (laughs) be another redundant thing that's reasonable that is is a two or less is one that has discover two like there. I, I really don't think it's going to happen, but right. Surely the people designing these sets would test these in <laughs> the modern formats before, no. you know, printing the standard cards. It's a, maybe something like a, perhaps a two man enchantment that works very well with some of the other cards that are in modern. You think they, they probably oh. would test these cards first, right? Yeah. I mean, I certainly think they, they can test it. I also think sometimes they just don't care. Yeah. Devin, and they're yeah. like, hey, we're going to make a sweet card that has Discover 1, and we know what you're going to try to do with it, and let's see if it's worth it. Now, who knows? But Can you um, imagine Rhinos on turn 1, or even turn 2, you know? Oh, casting, casting a spell? Yeah, like a Discover spell, you know what I mean? Yes. So my, my take on that was more <laughs> like, what if it's a 3-drop that has Discover 1, and you decide rhinos decide suddenly or there's two of them that have discover two and all of a sudden or discover one and rhino suddenly goes oh i get to play two drops now yeah that'd be fascinating that's that's the more of the way that my brain went oh okay was like maybe we suddenly have a less constrained deck list of these suspend of the suspend cards that we're so familiar with in modern because of a couple of these things. So you're thinking like three mana two two, but if if because it has discover one, you can actually play like real two mana cards in it. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that'd be sweet. That would be the more like earth shattering thing that would happen, I think. Yeah, that would be but wild. I doubt it, but who knows? You know. All right. So interesting mechanic. 
lots of potential to be broken, I think, that particular one. The next one uh, is a series of related mechanics that are called Descended or Descend. Now, I'm going to start with Descended. So Descended is my favorite metal band, but also um, what it means is you, it is like a trigger that has happened to a player. So it's like you have Descended if a permanent has gone to your graveyard from anywhere this turn. And so so this- it's kind of a it's a revolt okay. style card. Yeah, exactly. So if you have had a permit, but it can go from your deck. So it's not revolt oh, in that sense, right? Okay. So it's like if gotcha. you mill, it can it counts uh, that kind of stuff. So this adds abilities to cards. It activates things, yada yada yada, all that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't seen anything there yet. But the real note that I want to make here is that in order to have descended, you ha- it has to be a permanent. It is not does not count instants or sorceries on this kind of thing. So if you opt, you have not descended, for example. So here's a card that goes with Descended. It's called the Micro Tyrant. It is a generic, a black, and a green, and it has a star star. It is a legendary creature, Elder Fungus. It's a mythic. It has Trample, <laughs> and it says the Micro Tyrant's power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control that are fungi and or saprolings. And at the beginning of your end step, create X11 black fungus creature tokens with this creature can attack, where X is the number of times you descended this turn. This creature can't block, not can attack. But when I saw this card, I immediately thought of Devin. This feels like a Devin card to me. Like you, I feel like I've seen you play Sacrifice decks. I feel like this is sort of like the kind of card that you would want to put into a Sac deck, but it would not be exactly what you want it to be. It's like it's like a delayed Mayhem Devil, where it's like it's not pinging them now, but you just get a lot of creatures later. Yeah, I mean, I typically do love cards like this because it, you know, again, I, every time I see a card like this that has, you know, when something dies, I always think of, you know, cat, cat oven and things like that, which it's pretty powerful with. But the problem is, is the tokens can't block. So it's, you know, if you're making a giant horde of stuff, it's hard to be able it's hard. You can't really play defense with them. You can make some, you know, big giant trampling guy, which is kind of cool. But I think the uh, I think the issue is the tokens can't block. One thing I'd be curious is like, what are the other fungi and saprolings that are playable alongside it? Can they just make like a, you know, kind of like a theme deck, as it were? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's interesting. This is the most power. There's a couple of other descended cards, I think, that they showed that are like much more run of the mill kind of triggers, like more like limited kind of fodder stuff. But this one is uh, the one that was kind of interesting to me just because it's like, oh, it's a big effect and it stacks. Descended can stack. It's not just one thing. You can descend multiple times in a turn. So it's something else to keep an eye out for is like, okay, uh, goes great with sacrifice. Maybe not, but that's that's certainly what came to mind when I took a look at this card first. I'm I'm curious if, so it says the number of times you descended this turn, like let's say you have five creatures in play and you cast a wrath. Do you think that would count once or five times? I would assume I'm pretty once, sure right? it's one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it's each time, but in sa- but it's instance. great for sacrifice, right? Because you're doing it, you know, with individual things, and so those those game actions are all different from each other. So the related mechanic to this descend four or descend eight, I think, are the two numbers that they're actually showing here. It's basically threshold. Anybody remember threshold? Oh, I sure do. So I do not. So Threshold is a mechanic we have not seen in a long, long time. Almost all of the cards that had Threshold were an Odyssey block. And what this said was, uh, you get to do extra stuff if there are seven or more cards in your graveyard. That's what Threshold was. Seven or more cards in your graveyard. And it was kind of 
broken in the constructed at that time. I think if I remember, there were many decks that kind of took advantage of that in different ways. What was that? What What do you think was? Do you Wear remember the iconic card? It's Werebear. Yeah, is the iconic card, right? The, that was like a tapped a for mana or became a three three, right? Yeah, it was just like a no. I think it was. I think it was a four four. So it was like oh, a two a mana one one green mana dork, and then it get plus three plus three. There you go. Yep. But I think for the most part, as far as just the mechanic is concerned, I think they mostly replaced that with Delirium. They kind of figured that Delirium was a better way to, to do that than, than Threshold. Yeah. And so the last card that was printed with Threshold that I could find was in Modern Horizons 1. It is not a notable card. I didn't even write down its name. But basically, the one thing I wanted to point out again at this, as we're looking at this card and thinking about this mechanic, is that it has to be permanence. It is not instants or sorceries. So a lot of what happened with self-milled decks or things like that is like they mill themselves and you get a bunch of sorceries that would have milled you in the deck like this was part of the blue green decks that were floating around back in the day when threshold was actually good this is just permanents that are in your graveyard so it's it's i think it's much worse it's kind of like the opposite of the city's blessing uh, I haven't seen any cards that are really paying this off well right now. There's a couple that they showed. There's like a common that has flying if you have descend four, and there's kind of like this creature that can be cast from your graveyard if you have descend eight. But I haven't seen anything yet. But it's interesting because threshold was good. There are decks that like to fill their graveyards, and so there could be a payoff for some kind of thing here with descend in the future. Yeah, especially with like just the, the even just the cat oven interaction. Like you can go cat oven, do that a couple of times, deadly dispute to get to get a bunch of balls to get the ball rolling a couple of times on that. So uh depending on how you know good the rares are, there definitely is a, a world where this could be really, really constructed playable. And then last mechanic I wanted to talk about. We've been wondering for a while since we saw the original cards what a map token was. And we now know what a map token is. And that is an artifact that says pay a colorless, sack this token explore that's what it is guys remember explore of course this is Explorer's the uh door door the explorer ub yeah exactly so okay so some individual cards that were interesting yes we have some cards anybody have any thoughts of things that they saw on the list or anything they want to talk about or you guys want to go through kind of the order that i had laid out can we talk about the card that i was most like this seems cool and I think like maybe has some play, but I'm not smart enough to know where yet. And that's Sahili, the Sun's Brilliance, which is uh, a blue and a red. Is it mana for a 2-2? Legendary human artificer creature. And Sahili's uh, activated ability, you pay blue and a red, you tap her, you create a token that's a copy of another target creature or artifact you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Correct me if I'm wrong, is that Sahili Plains, the Sahili Planeswalker ability? Like yep. the minus? It's close okay. to, yes. I okay. think it might be the exact same text. I think it is. I think it is. But I think there are some interesting options here. I'm like, you know, I'm not creative enough or... A, brewer enough to like be like okay there's some strategy that could also generate mana and like untap Sahili. like i'm almost afraid that it's going to be like a value card that's that's disguised as like a combo card but there's something probably here but it could be wrong could just be nothing it is mythic and i was telling dave this earlier i actually didn't look at any of these cards because i wanted to get like a first impression for the listeners at home so i mean i like this card a lot i think it's it's really cool um maybe could do something so what i initially think of is like just guy ascendancy so you can untap it over and over again where you can like copy something play a spell untap it yada yada yes, go from there, there. You go. 
So, I mean, two mana two two is kind of tough though. Maybe it's good for like standard level play, but I don't know if it's going to see a ton of play outside of that. Here, here's the thing that kills it for me is that it has an activated ability, or it has a it has a mana cost associated with its activated ability. Like that's the you have to get that mana back and untap it. That's the brick that I think is just too big to to overcome for this card because to me it feels like Vanifar. Like when I look at this, I'm like, okay, we're going to do some Vanifar stuff, but like it, it just is. It's. I would rather have Vanifar because Vanifar doesn't cost anything to do what it's doing. You know what I mean? So if there's some kind of chain or some kind of interesting thing that you can do with Sahili's activated ability, Vanifar is probably going to be easier. I will say, thank Clothis, this thing does not have no mana to activate because we, we'd have we'd have a, a kind of a red flag if it did. <laughs> It'd For be sure. a little too good, I think. We would have a bunch of Splinter Twin situations yes. immediately happening. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you about a card that is kind of boring, but I'm curious what Devin thinks about it? It's a very simple card. Sure. It's called Spyglass Siren, and it is a 1-1 for a blue with flying. It's a flying man, but it's actually a siren pirate, and it creates a map token when it comes into play, and that is what it does. I looked this up, and I think if I did my search right, this is the first flying man in 30 years that makes an additional piece of cardboard when it ETBs. That's uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't usually see like flying bodies that replace themselves with one. I, I actually like this. Just, I mean, I, I'm a big game objects type of guy. Yeah. I really enjoy like food and stuff. Just making a lot of lot of game objects. And anytime I could spend one mana for a one one that has some ability that also makes another thing, I'm in. I'm into. It. I don't know what I can do with it, but I'm in for it. Yeah. To me, what I immediately thought of was just the convoke deck that you spent some time playing you know in pioneer a couple months ago obviously that deck already does have two one two one cmc cards that come into play and make an artifact you know in uh the red guy and raven inspector basically but i also was kind of like what if this goes with like in soul artifact or something weird like that like it's just kind of like i'm gonna play a creature make a token and make an soul artifact and then i have other things going on with it you know I, I it felt like kind of a no-brainer to me as something to consider. Yeah, I'm trying to think if the Insole Artifact deck really has any sort of one mana. I guess they can, if they're blue-white, they can play Thraven Inspector, but yeah, I mean, one mana for a 1-1 flyer. The thing about Insole is like you want something to be able to do with the, the actual body itself, because you can utilize the artifact in good ways. It's just a question of how you're utilizing the body, but I mean, I love game objects. I'm, I'm into this sort of thing. This is exactly yeah. my stuff. Perfect. Seems like a good common. I'll mess Shane, anything, is anything, anything else catch your eye? Yeah, the... The Jade Light Spelunker was something that I looked at, and then the, the longer I look at it, the less I'm happy with it, because you know, Jade Light Ranger was a surprisingly pretty quality card for a surprisingly long time, in my opinion. Like, I think it saw standard play. I think it was like in Pioneer early on yeah. in, in some decks, right? And so what Jade Light Spelunker is, is a X and a green, 1-1, one, one, merfolk creature scout and when it etbs it explores x time and i don't think we actually reminded people what exploring is it's it makes sense it's like you you look at the top card of your library you reveal it actually you can put it into your hand no you do put it into your hand if it's a land otherwise you put a one one counter on that creature that's exploring and then you can either put the card back or put it into your graveyard so it's kind of like a surveil with upside type thing, right? Where it's like, hey, I get to choose what I do with this card. If you explore five times and you hit a non-land card off the top, you can just be like, okay, five counters, goes on Jade Lake Spelunker. But then I'm kind of like, well, you know, like what's our ceiling here? 
it's like what like um a four mana four four that surveilled three maybe you know what i mean like or like a three mana one one that drew you two lands and i'm like uh, i don't know shane i got two words for you hardened scales oh okay for pioneer I've been I've been messing around with a lot of with a with a lot of pioneer hardened scale shells. And the nice thing about this, it's unfortunate that it doesn't trigger scales if you just play it as a one minute one one. But it's nice that it's like, for lack of a better term, it scales like throughout yeah. the game. You know what I mean? Scales and scales. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it, it just fills a spot in the curve, whatever you're missing. And, you know, if you can get multiple counters on it, I could see it being good. I don't think that I would consider it in boats because boats doesn't really, I guess you can like play this on turn two if your elf dies to explore, but it's like two mana for a two twos, like kind of eh, but yeah, I could see it in scales. That's cool. I didn't think about I do, that I do option. like it. It's kind of cool. I like the surveilling aspect of it where it's like you get a little card selection, you get a little growth on your creature. It's You get some land draws if you want, you know, you want to ramp out a little bit or you need to hit those land drops. You sort of peel through the deck where it's like, yeah, I drew two lands, but then I don't have two lands to draw for my next, you know, couple draws there. So yeah. Speaking of Pioneer, a card that I liked, uh, I thought was interesting is Abuelo Ancestral Echo, which is a generic, a white and a blue Abuelo is just grandpa, right? I don't know. Abuelo, like, I think it is. Like, yeah, like Abuela, yeah. his grandma. I think it is. So it's a 2-2 legendary creature spirit with flying and ward 2. And then it has an activated ability that is a generic, a white, and a blue. Exile another target creature or artifact you control. Return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So when I first looked at this, I was like... Is this a soul herder type card for Pioneer? But then I started looking at it more and I just kind of was like... Is this just okay to play in your spirits deck to like re-trigger your rattle chains and do other stuff with later in the game? And you know, once you can cast this with flash, it kind of gets a lot better because it has ward two. I don't know. It's tough because it doesn't make creatures better. It doesn't interact right away. So it makes me wonder a little bit if it's like, hey, this is like a one-of that you would consider playing in the deck to do some uh mana sinking, basically. But I don't know. In 2023 magic this feels like an uncommon to me and it's a rare and i'm 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 kind of like why like everything just seems a little bit too expensive like maybe not the card itself but we've seen like three mana spirit lords you know what i mean that would give like all your other cards ward or something like that right and like the activated ability being like one white blue expensive. just seems like yeah. it seems to seem so a expensive. little expensive. And I'm like, why? Like, why are they costing it like this? And maybe it's like the maybe the limited environment, like it, they can't they can't afford to have this like be too powerful there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about uh, David mentioned like the rattle chains interaction, which I hadn't thought about at first. But the big issue is it wait till next end step. If this just like flickered it and immediately came back, I'd like it a lot more because you could mm-hmm. like, you could even do some shenanigans with spell queller, which I guess you still can. If you get the six mana, you can go the way that spell queller is worded. You can go spell queller trigger on the stack, exile it because it has the, it, it's worded the old way where it has the, the two separate triggers. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can do something cool with that, but it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's really expensive. I don't, I don't think you want to play this in spirits. Yeah. It's close. Yeah. All right. Close. I do like the planeswalker. I mean, we like the planeswalker. I like the planes. Well, I like the planeswalker because it's like, I think it's a very good five mana planeswalker. Quintorius. Who wants to read it? (laughs) Somebody read it. Okay. Uh, Quintorius canned, conned three red, white, 
for a legendary Quintorius. Whenever you cast a spell, so static text, whenever you cast a spell from exile, Quintorius deals two damage to each opponent and you gain two life. The plus, uh, it comes down with four loyalty. The plus one loyalty is create a 3-2 red and white spirit creature token. Minus three is discover four, which is the cascade ability. Mm -hmm. So anything four or less mana value can be cast for free or put into your hand. Then the minus six, which can be, what, three turns. Exile any number of target cards from your graveyard. Add red for each card exiled this way. You may play those cards this turn. I mean, this is a five mana walker. It, it pluses and like creates a good body. 3-2 red and white spirit creature token is sweet. It does not fly. That'd be pretty darn good. And then the discover is just card advantage, sort of. I mean, you either can put it in your hand or you cast it. That's pretty good. Like you're getting the card and you're casting it for free, which is nice. I might be going a little too deep on this one, but Please if do. you go... Uh, like, okay, so let's say you have some random game objects in play and you go beseech the mirror, sacrifice an artifact, get another copy of beseech the mirror to trigger the static ability of this. And you could just loop through all four beseeches to drain them for six. And I then, mean, well, so, and then six. I don't know. I don't know what you do after that, but right now, hear me out. You have four beseeches in your graveyard and then you tick this thing up to six and then you can minus six to recast all four beseeches. And then go again. I, I don't, I, you know, I just, this is, this is the kind of the things that come into my brain, but yeah. I mean, I don't know what you're doing with this card in, in pioneer right now in modern, I'm completely clueless, but I think this is like a, a, a fun five mana walker. Yeah. I think that if you, hmm, the best, the best thing you can probably do with this is build around the discover like, it seems like Discover is probably the most powerful ability since that, like, the common play pattern is you play this, hit a powerful thing off Discover, and then drain them for two because you're getting a little bit of an extra value. So if you can build some kind of, like, Cascade deck that wants to, that can use that Discover for, and I'm assuming it's very similar, I'm assuming it works the same with Cascade. It's like, if I hit a Valky, we're not going to have a Valky situation on our hands again, right? I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I couldn't tell from the rule. Like, I'm not... Surely they learned their lesson the first time on that, right? <laughs> Cast it without paying its mana cost or put it into your hand. I think it does, Devin. No, there's no way. They, they had to have... Re there's no possible... I refuse to believe, Dave, <laughs> that they would make this mistake twice. And it, if they did, and I'm wrong, we are they, they better instantly do something. I don't know. But we'll, we'll so see what we're happens. Gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to play Quintorius and Valky, is what you're saying. And then we're just going to we're just going to discover it. No, Valky. I'm going to play. I'm going to play the Bloodbraid Elf, the one that we saw earlier. I'm going to play that thing. It costs oh, less mana. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. There's no way. There's there's just I refuse to believe that, that. there's no way <laughs> not happening. We're going to find out <laughs> once he get out us. We got to figure it out. <laughs> we'll find out soon because the set is coming out in a few weeks. Um, all right. So I think that was it yeah. pretty much from the from the stream. Yeah, when when does spoiler season actually begin here? This is the beginning. Is this of the beginning of it? Season, yeah. So next week, I think we'll have a lot more cards to look at. Oh man, I love it. I love I love a good spoiler season. So and this is this is a fun start. I think what I like about this is there's a lot of things to tune. Right, like we have the tunability of exploring. If exploring's, you know, I think I must be back here. We have the discover tunability. I think that seems cool. If there's some this weird like signpost rare of Abuelo, like if there's an exile theme going on, like in the Azorius colors, that could be cool. So I'm all about it. Like uh, I think that the th the theming of the set seems good, and the core mechanics seem good. So let's just hope that there's some 
well efficiently costed cards for us to mess with here. Oh, I guess also the tunability of uh, the crafting. So there we go. Cool. My friends, let's get out of here. That wraps up the show. If you haven't yet, you know, feel free to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice. You get those latest episodes as soon as they come out. Make sure you don't miss anything. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and a review. Uh, engage with us on Spotify. We know we have some regulars already. It's a fun way for us to kind of do like a little poll every week or for you to, you to tell us what you're thinking about the episodes. If you want to submit a question to the pod or reach out, you can uh, tweet us at the dive down all one word give us an email at the dive down at gmail.com if you want to support us we definitely appreciate that you can go to the patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down or check out the store at the dive down.com slash store sponsor time heavyplay.com you get the incredible deck dice boxes play mats using the equipment system using code the dive down 2023 gives you 10 percent off your first order there mana traders of course longtime affiliate of us you can use promo code the dive down 23 for 10 percent off of your first two months for rending magic online cards there as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music but until next week get out there and explore some beans